Father, we do want to exalt you this morning. And we want to exalt your Son. And we ask that you'd help us to do that by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you'd give us insight into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first 33 years of Christ's life here on earth, from the time of his birth there in Bethlehem to his death on the cross and his burial, were a time of Christ's humiliation, a time when he humbled himself by coming down from the glory that he had had forever with his Father, coming down to earth. And when we're talking about his exaltation, we're talking about him returning to that glory. Now as a man, returning to the glory that he ever had with the Father before the foundation of the world. So the exaltation of Christ is sometimes divided into four different areas. First of all, his resurrection from the dead. Secondly, his ascension up to heaven. Third, his present position at the right hand of God. And fourth, his coming again to judge the world in the last day. Paul talks of these two great aspects of Christ's life, his humiliation and his exaltation in Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. So let's turn there. These are familiar verses. I'm surprised how many times I use these verses. (laughs) They're just so good. We'll begin reading in verse 5 of chapter 2 of Philippians. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not, not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So there's the humbling. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him. There's the exaltation, you see, the humbling, the exaltation. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in, the, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see here that he humbled himself and God highly exalted him. Briefly, his humbling, his humiliation, consisted of his descending to the earth in a very mean and low condition, born as a baby lying in a manger in a stable, taking upon himself the miseries of life lived amongst fallen humanity, serving, serving others, hungering and thirsting with no place to lay his head, experiencing the opposition of sinners against himself, and finally suffering the shameful death 
on the cross. That all has to do with his humiliation, those 33 years. And especially when we think of the death on the cross, suffering the wrath of God against sin, not his, but ours. Suffering the shame and humiliation and degradation of the death on the cross. As one songwriter put it, out of the ivory palaces into the world of woe, out of heaven, the ivory palaces, into this world of woe, only his great eternal love made my Savior go. So that's his humiliation. But that humiliation came to an end three days after his burial. He burst the bonds of the grave and came forth alive from the tomb. He did what he said he would do. Remember he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. Of course he was speaking of the temple of his body. He said in another place, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And another place, he said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised up on the third day. So he said this many times. In the resurrection, we have a clear testimony of the deity of Christ. He was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. We also have a strong reason to believe that everything he said is right and true and should be listened to, since what he said about being killed and coming back to life the third day proved to be true. As one person said, when a man steps out of his own grave after three days, as he said he would do, you better listen to everything he's got to say. <laughs> his resurrection also shows his complete, complete conquest of death and of him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Prior to his death, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he proved this by his own resurrection. Later on, after his resurrection, Christ said this, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. So he had humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on the cross, but now God has highly exalted him. So when we look at this, this theme of the exaltation of Christ, we're looking at the ways in which the Father rewards his Son and declares his glory to the whole creation. That's what we're talking about, God's exaltation of his son. His humiliation was temporary. His exaltation, which began at the resurrection, is permanent. God's first step in exalting his son after the resurrection was the ascension. You might say the next step after the resurrection was the ascension. By ascension, we mean his being taken up to heaven. Let's, look, uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> Luke 
Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. Says, and it came about when the days were approaching for his ascension that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. So his ascension, if you, if you have uh, the New American Standard with the marginal notes in it, it says uh, for that word ascension, his being taken up. We're approaching for his being taken up. He was taken up to glory. And then if you turn to the end of Luke, we see how Luke states this briefly <clears throat> at the end of his gospel. Luke twenty four fifty. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. He parted from them. So he doesn't, say, he doesn't tell us much about it here, you see. He parted from them. But we can learn quite a bit more from the book of Acts. And I thought we'd spend some time on this subject this morning uh, simply because it's something we don't think about that much. The Ascension of Christ. It's one of the kind of neglected aspects of the exaltation of Christ. So I, I just want to take a little time on it. Let's turn to the book of Acts. And chapter 1. Looking at verse 9, he's speaking with his followers, his disciples. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee... Why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come again, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So, lifted up as they were gazing intently, they were looking at him, watching, and he departed from them, received into a cloud out of their sight. Quite an amazing thing here. Lifted up bodily from the earth, taken up into heaven. Uh, 21 and 22, verses 21 and 22. <clears throat> Just a little added thought here. It was therefore necessary that of the men who had accompanied us all, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning at the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. One of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. But just that phrase, he was taken up from us. 
Well, the New Testament letters tell us about this event just in little phrases sometimes. For instance, Paul says Christ was taken up to glory. And Peter says Christ has gone into heaven. And the writer of Hebrews says that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Apparently, somehow, it did not seem fitting for him just to disappear from the earth. You know, he did appear and and sometimes disappear, uh, vanish from their sight in those 40 days after the resurrection. We don't understand that exactly, but somehow he would appear to them and then disappear. But that's not how he was taken up into heaven, just disappeared. When it came time for him to return to heaven, he did so visibly and bodily. God wanted it that way. This, I think, partly gave a sense of closure and completion to his work here on earth. As one writer put it, the ascension was the counterpart to his descent to earth. He came or was sent on a specific mission of redemption. Having brought that work to a wholly successful conclusion, he returned to his heavenly home. He was sent on a mission, and he returned to his home. I think there's a number of things we can glean from the accounts of the ascension. And this is really the main body of what I'm dealing with this morning, although the ascension has those four, or the uh, exaltation of Christ has those four aspects, I'm zeroing in on the ascension this morning. First of all, in his ascension, Christ, the God-man, carried manhood up to the throne of God. You know, this, you've you got to think about this, and when you think about it, you realize you don't understand it. We don't understand it. <laughs> Never had a man died, rose again bodily, and in that body gone to heaven until Christ did it. As he said in John 3.13, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. He descended, now he ascended. In heaven right now there are the spirits of just men made perfect, but not the whole person, not body, soul, and spirit. Just their spirits there, the bodies in the grave of, the, of God's people. They're just the bodies separated from the soul and spirit. But that's not the case with Christ. Christ is there bodily. Christ is there with a true body, though Paul calls it a spiritual or heavenly body, but nevertheless it was a true body. He could eat fish, for instance, after the resurrection. You could come and touch the wounds, as Thomas did. Again, we don't understand this this glorified body. These things are hard to understand, but Christ had a real body, though a glorified body. The Son of God, clothed in our nature, having a true body, has ascended into heaven. 
And what is now true for our Lord will someday be true for us if we are Christians. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3.21, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state, that's this one, the body of our humble state, into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject, subject all things to himself. By the power of God, even these bodies, even if it's been in the grave for a thousand years, can be changed into a glorified body, a real body. Uh, again, these are mysteries. Um, we can't understand it. Uh, to me, one of the things that helps just a little is if you look at these daffodils over here, uh, have any of you children ever helped your mom in the fall plant a bulb that's going to become a flower in the spring? Well, if you have, you know that that bulb was not too impressive when you put it, when you put it in the ground, just kind of a brown little clump. You think, what is going to come of this? Well, that's what comes of this. Amazing. Into the ground comes the daffodil. Well, in some way like that, our body put into the ground can yet be raised up by the power of God. By the, it says here, uh, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself and raise us up, give us a, a new body. But it's still the same flower. It's still the, sa the, sa the same makeup that made that bulb is is what brought forth that flower. Well, again, that's just an earthly example of a spiritual thing that we don't understand very well. Another thing we can learn from the Ascension is that we should never think of Christ's work as ceasing when he died for our sins, even though he said it was finished as far as taking our sins and paying the penalty for them. That finished work on the cross is but the beginning of what he's doing through directing the affairs of his people from heaven. He ascended to heaven. He's directing the, the affairs of his people from heaven. Mark ends his gospel this way. So then, when the Lord had spoken to them, that is, to the disciples, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God and they, that is the disciples, went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. He's in heaven, but he's working with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed. So Christ is working through his people right now. Being at the right hand of God symbolizes his, his position of honor and influence and power and authority. From that position, he as the God-man again, there's a man in heaven with a body. I, I don't understand it. But from that position of, of being at the right hand of God, of course that's a symbolic phrase, speaking of his authority and power, as the God-man, he is building his church and directing the course of this world. He is presently reigning in heaven until he has put all his enemies under his feet. 
when you read the book of Acts, one way of understanding, just trying to f- understand what we're looking at when we look at the book of Acts, is that it's a record of the acts of Christ through the Holy Spirit using people. We call it the Acts of the Apostles, but it's the Acts of Christ through the Holy Spirit using his people. Let me just name a few things here that Christ is doing right now in that ascended position. Well, for one thing, he's pouring out his Spirit upon all flesh. He's giving gifts to men. He's equipping the saints. He's interceding for us. He's pleading the merits of his death before the throne of God. He's hearing and answering prayer. He's sending forth his angels to minister. He's upholding all things by the word of his power. He's ruling and governing all things for the glory of God and the proper, proper advancement of his divine plan. Those are just a few things that he's doing in this ascended position. We also learn from the Bible that Christ's ascension was necessary for sending forth the Holy Spirit. Let's look at just a few verses on this. John chapter 16. John 16, verse 7 and 8. But I tell you the truth, it is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So he says, I, it's necessary for me to ascend back to heaven so that I can send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will then convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. Uh, Acts chapter 1 again. Verse uh, 4. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he was going to send forth the Holy Spirit onto, into his people and work through the church to advance the kingdom. And then in 2... 32, this Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. So Christ is pouring forth his Holy Spirit. It was necessary 
that redemption not only be accomplished by Christ, but it had to be applied. Redemption has to be applied. People left to themselves would never take for themselves the salvation that Christ has accomplished. They just wouldn't do it if left to themselves. The Holy Spirit had to be sent in order to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. Another thing that we should note is that it was necessary for him to ascend to heaven to fulfill his promises of preparing a place for us. Remember he said it in John 14, 2 and 3. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. That's one of the reasons he ascended back. I, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. You know, just a little illustration here. If you go on a trip, it's nice to know that you're going to have a place to stay, a place that's ready for you. Even more wonderful than that is to know that somebody somebody there really wants you to be there with them. Well, that's what Christ is saying. I got a place prepared. I go, I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and uh, I'm going to be really glad to have you come there. So the ascension was also necessary that the types and shadows related to the tabernacle and sacrifices and priesthood would be fulfilled. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Christ has entered the true tabernacle. He's ascended, do you see? He's ascended and entered the true tabernacle, which is heaven itself, there to appear before God on our behalf. Now, I want just to give you the picture here. In the Old, in the old Covenant... The lamb was slain outside the holy place of the temple. The lamb was slain not in the holy of holies, outside the holy of holies. The high priest took that blood within the veil into the holy of holies, this is on the Day of Atonement, and sprinkled the mercy seat, okay? Why did God have all that going on? Well, he was going to teach us what Christ is doing right now in heaven for us. What the high priest did in the earthly temple was was uh, it was necessary for our true high priest to do in the true temple the true tabernacle not made with hands in heaven now even though I stumbled around on that let's see if we can read about it in in Hebrews Hebrews chapter 8 Verses 1 and 2. Actually, if you, you know, to get the real feel for this, you'd have to read quite a bit of the book of Hebrews, but at least, especially uh, chapters 8 and, and 9. But let's just uh, pick out a few verses here. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest 
who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. He's ascended up there, you see, the Christ as our high priest. Taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens to minister in the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. So the true tabernacle was never here on earth. It was always there in heaven. And then if you skip down to... Uh, well, chapter 9 and verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So he's gone into the really holy place, the presence of God, heaven, as our high priest. And then if you skip down to verse 22. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Therefore... It was necessary for the copies of the things in heaven to be cleansed by these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere, co- a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So, Christ ascended so that he could appear in the presence of God for us as our high priest to plead the merits of what he did there on the cross. Um, Maybe one last verse here. uh, Just uh, says this in chapter 7, verse 25. Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So he is in that place now where he can always live to make intercession for us. So that was another reason why the ascension was so necessary, just that he would go to the true tabernacle. And I, I, you know, don't think of these things as some physical thing floating up there somewhere. These are symbolic things expressing to us the reality of what Christ has done for us. And then lastly, I would say that we learn from the account of the ascension something of how he will appear when he comes again to earth. That's what they were told when he was taken up. It says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. So, another thing we learn from the ascension is, is how Christ will come again. And this certainly seems to teach that his coming will be visible and bodily when he comes again. Not some spiritual secret coming. There have been all kinds of those supposed happenings that weren't real. When Christ comes again, everybody's going to know it, and it's going to be visible, and it's going to be bodily, just the way 
he, he went up, he'll, he'll come back. But there will be a great difference from how he left the earth and how he'll come again because of the extreme glory and exaltation related to the second coming. When he comes again, all creation will acknowledge his complete victory. Then, at the second coming, his heavenly Father will exalt him to the highest degree, bestowing on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's when everybody's going to know who Christ is. He's right now risen and ascended and reigning at the right hand of God, but most of the world does not recognize this. It's just not even in their radar. Yet there's a day coming that Joel calls the great and awesome day of the Lord when all will bow and acknowledge the exalted Christ. Then the glory and the majesty of Christ will be apparent to all men, even those who don't want to admit it. In his humiliation, he was killed as a criminal. In his exaltation, he'll come back as the judge. Then the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. So this is, this is, he's going to come bodily and visibly, but it's going to be much, it's going to be different than, there was just a few that saw him ascend. Everybody's going to see this. Then the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Some are going to be Terrified, others are going to be marveling at, at Christ on that day. <clears throat> well, I want to close by making one simple but very important application from what we've looked at concerning Christ's humiliation and exaltation. The promise of participation in Christ's exaltation is given to every believer. We're going to participate in his exaltation. But he also clearly taught that unless we are willing to participate in his humiliation, we would have no reason to expect to ever participate in his exaltation. Jesus said, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He's talking about taking that humble place that he did when he came to earth. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. 
there's, you're not going to be exalted with Christ unless you know something of walking with him in humility. That's back to the verses that we began with. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, the exaltation of Christ 